Hey, I'm Johanna Wagstaff. And hi there, I'm Rohit Joseph. And we're asking for 10 minutes of your day to go through the 10 things that the UN recommends we can all do when it comes to climate change. Please don't leave. No. And also the things (laughs) aren't new. We are just wired to not do them. We promise you to help you figure out your brains and you and your people can make better choices to combat climate change. 10 Minutes to Save the Planet is available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Okay, I know last year we celebrated live music being back in a big way. But even with that being said, Live Nation, the company that owns Ticketmaster, earned nearly $23 billion U.S. dollars this year. That's a number worth talking about. Today on the podcast, the staggering power of Live Nation. I'm Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. This is Commotion. If you will indulge me, let's get into it with this. People would come up to me and they'd be like, you're going to just like do a show with like all the albums in it? And I was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be called the Eras Tour. See you there. Come on, you know what it is. That is a bit of a concert film, Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour. This tour is worth talking about. The whole last year of live music is worth talking about because that tour is the first ever tour to generate more than a billion dollars in revenue. A billion dollars. It just seems like an overwhelming number to say. Live Nation Entertainment sold the tickets for that tour. Recently, Live Nation revealed that it brought in nearly $23 billion U.S. in revenue in 2023. In Canadian money, if you're keeping track, that is about $30 billion. But it's not just... The Taylors and Beyonce's popping up that figure. Live Nation is a giant. It has its fingers in every aspect of the live music experience. We're talking about ticketing, but also merchandise, also bar sales. And when you're that big, it begins to raise a question, a question that a lot of people in the music industry are having to contend with, which is, has Live Nation become too powerful? Here to unpack that question, we've got two Two people with us, Adrian Horton from The Guardian and Sean Bowering, who runs the Garrison and Baby G Music venues in Toronto. Sean, Adrian, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Hi, nice to be here. thanks for having me. Of course. Listen, I'm excited to get into this. Adrian, when you heard the Live Nation brought in $22.7 billion in revenue last year, a 36% increase in revenue over the previous year, what went through your mind? Wow, I mean, it's, it's a huge number. Mm-hmm. A bunch of things went through. I mean, first of all, it's not it's it's shocking, although not super surprising, just given the numbers that we saw Taylor and Beyonce do last year. I mean, Taylor having the billion dollar tour, yeah. you know, both selling out massive stadium tours. Um, and it it makes me a little bit happy to think, you know, live events are really, really back after a pandemic that ground them to a halt. You know, it's it's good to know that people feel so strongly about communal experiences with music that they're willing to like make them priority spending purchases. Yeah. But it, yeah, it, it is also, I think a bit concerning that uh, we already have a lot of concerns around live nation, which owns Ticketmaster and has since 2010, um, it's control of the market. Mm -hmm. And where is that, you know, the money, the expansion of live events going, and it seems to be going to primarily one company. Yeah, there's something kind of startling about the idea of all that revenue being concentrated in one place. Sean, you run two small clubs in Toronto, and then you yep. also independently promote shows in bigger venues around the city. For you, like this, this business is kind of a daily grind that you have to sort of 
go to in order to make this work. How do you how do you, how do you feel when you see Live Nation posted numbers this big? It's uh, unfathomable. Um, it just mm. yeah, I saw it and was like, well, that's a that's an insane number. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, and, and and yeah, let's let's have the little trickle down effect. Uh, that's also what I thought. Let's get some of that going. Um, yeah, for for independent promoter and uh, you know a venue operator, it's it's yeah, those numbers yeah. are not the same numbers we're dealing with. Yeah, the, the, the thing I keep hearing is that like they're they're truly just like out of like in outer space numbers. Like the, the when 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 you think about what smaller venue um, owners and small promoters are thinking about, they go, "You don't even you wouldn't even think they extract this much money from the market." But the fact that one singular place can do that is quite startling. How are, how are your venues doing post pandemic, Sean? Um, we're we're pretty good. Still in rebuild mode. Um, people did come back and people were excited to see live music. But yeah, yeah we're still definitely in rebuild mode, probably about 75% of pre-pandemic. Um, mm. And it's going good, but it's, you know, hey, the cost of everything's up. Everything's changing. The landscape's changing. Um, yeah. 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 I think that's that's actually worth sitting with for a moment. The idea that, you know, four years after the pandemic, you're still not quite at 100 percent, you know, what you were before the pandemic. You were you're at 75 uh, percent of the business was before. Yeah, it, roughly. Yeah. So, Adrian, when we look at 2023 and we go, yes, it was obviously a big year because of Taylor, because of Beyonce. But that's not the only thing that's driving the Live Nation mas- machine. How let's talk about how big this machine is. What other factors are fueling this massive growth? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'll say I was surprised to hear Sean say that he's not fully back to pandem- pre-pandemic numbers. And I think that, you know, that plus the and the, the huge Live Nation numbers are evidence of a lot of things, this big phenomenon that's happening in culture with the big consolidating get really big. Yeah. And then the, the small have to keep getting more and more niche yes. um, to try and reach an audience. And but it's not just, as you said, the Taylors and Beyonce's. I mean, they they rack up also like mind mind boggling numbers. I mean, Taylor's like small small country GDP numbers. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah for sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But there's also, you know, most money is made for music artists in touring. There's mm. a lot of touring artists. There's a lot of legacy touring artists that um, you know, reliably make money. You have your fish, uh, the Grateful Dead reboot with John Mayer, you know. Bruce Springsteen, these artists yeah. that are, you know, touring pretty consistently and, and making money. Um, and Live Nation controls, you know, a good portion of the venues. When I say venues, like arenas, stadium bookings, and um, like amphitheaters, uh, those type of those yeah. type of bigger venues. Mega venues, yeah. Mega yeah. venues. And anywhere from, I mean, they would say probably a third to a half, but it could be more like two thirds. Yeah. And then Ticketmaster says that it it uh, represents 50 to 60% of primary ticket sellers. Other estimates have that up as like as high as 80%. Oh wow. So there's just many streams <laughs> yeah. of income for this company when you have any type of touring artist on a mid to massive scale. So we're, we're going to talk a, in a moment just about what it means when one company has that much control or how much, has that much presence over the space. But Sean, I also want to give people, um, I guess, a, a fuller understanding of the power of Live Nation because we've just mentioned the fact that how, you know they control all these mega venues because people tend to think of Live Nation as like the company that has these larger stars. But it's also pretty deeply embedded in the small independent venue ecosystem. Can you just talk a little bit about how Live Nation is changing that landscape? Yeah, there's definitely been some movement there where they're um, purchasing live 
uh, smaller live venues than the big mega venues. Sure. Um, that's happened in New York and LA and London. Um, usually there's an AEG component in there as well. Um, that's, um, so that's happening in Toronto now. So for, um, it, it's, uh, just having a future look. What, how is that going to affect things in five or six years? Right. When a bunch of, uh, you know, formerly independent venues have been bought up. That's, that's kind of the scenario we're looking at and sizing up. Um, we, you know, I know everyone in the community. I know people that work at Live Nation. We're, we're it's a, a a tight community, and it's up yeah. until up until this point, it's been friendly competition. That's you know, we all know what one another's doing. But um, but <laughs> sure. but looking into the future a little bit, it's um, there's a there, there's a bit of unknowns. But um, of course, you know, hopefully, there's always um, room for the the upstarts and the underdogs. And, yeah, and, uh, yeah, and we, what we we're great at what we do. So. Uh, hey. I should say, I should tell folks, if people are just joining us, uh, my name is Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. You're listening to Commotion. Today on the podcast, my guests are Adrian Horton and Sean Bowering, and we're talking about the concert promoter Live Nation and the record year it had in revenue and the consequences of that. And you know what? Um, I, w- I actually want to play you guys a bit of this. On the road again. Life on the road as a musician is about all I've ever known. Those moments are important to an artist. But the roads have gotten a little bumpier for several years. We're trying to make enough gas money to get to the next gig. So whatever you can do to help a new artist, I think we should do it. Uh, they need all the help they can get. The legend himself. That is an ad, actually. What you just <laughs> yeah, heard is an ad. Yeah, right. So, so that was an ad featuring Willie Nelson. It supported a Live Nation campaign that was called On the Road Again. It's this program that they rolled out that paid touring bands an extra $1,500 per show for gas, for expenses. And then also waived Live Nation's cut of the artist's merchandise sales at the gig. Sean, it seems clear to me that Live Nation is quite aware of the criticisms that they get for being like such a large presence in the space. Um, this was a move that they did to sort of appeal to smaller touring acts who could really use extra cash, the sort of acts that you're trying to book in your clubs. How did that move sit with you when they did that? Well, I wanted to get my old band back together. 1500 bucks <laughs> is great. Wow. Um, it, it's, it's a carrot. It's a carrot that they're dangling and they're, they're definitely getting into, you know, they're thinking about the, the smaller market. I've always said the, the live music uh, ecosystem is a house of cards. So mm. um, my ve- my venues are on that that bottom tier, and mm. you can't have Adele at the top or Taylor. Well, yeah, sure, Taylor Swift too. Yeah. Without all those bottom venues, and if you pull one out, it collapses. So yeah. they're they're kind of they're kind of jumping around, getting into that area, um, offering uh, the uh, subsidized touring yeah. for smaller artists. It's great for the artists. I don't, you know, we can't compete with it. Um, and is it is it sustainable? Is it a long term yeah. run? And Adrian, the other dimension of this is that, of course, Live Nation, despite putting up all those big numbers, it's been kind of a bumpy year, bumpy year, mm-hmm. particularly legally, because a mm-hmm. bunch of people said, "Hey, we notice how large this operator is in the space, and there are some challenges to that." Can you just talk a little bit about what those challenges are? Yeah, there there are a lot. I I will say, contrary to I think popular belief, they did not start with the Taylor Swift eras tour debacle. Okay, um, although that really <laughs> that really blew it up. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um, um, very helpful. But um, yeah, I mean the the size of live of Live Nation, which you know again owns Ticketmaster, has been 
a subject of concern for a long time. Um, in fact, they were there was a Justice Department, you know, investigation into them. I don't know if investigation, but they were warned basically that they said that they had violated rules back right. in 2019 and was given an agreement that they've, again, maybe allegedly violated. Mm -hmm. And the Justice Department was investigating them for antitrust violations prior to the Taylor Swift debacle. That blew that out of the water. So the antitrust uh, violations, like that's the idea that like they are so big that they can, in fact, act in a way that is not in favor of the consumer. Like that's to explain yes, that to people. That, yeah. they, that they could, yeah, that, that, that basically venues are forced to work with live nation forced to use Ticketmaster penalized if they don't. Yeah. Um, and that consumers are then forced to jump through a million hoops, pay extra fees, um, pay whatever price, you know, Ticketmaster and Live Nation say. Yeah. Um, I like to joke that, you know, if Swifties wanted to use their power to trust bus, this is like the best possible use <laughs> of the fandom. Um, and yeah, after the debacle, there were several lawsuits by individual fans saying that the way that Ticketmaster ran the sale, put the tickets yeah. in the hands of bots that resold them for like $20,000. Because that, that debacle was like, you know, it was uh, Taylor Swift said, okay, I'm going to announce the tour. And then mm -hmm. I guess Ticketmaster said it's going to go through this verified fan process. And a right. lot of Taylor Swift fans were heartbroken and they had no recourse because they just simply couldn't. This was the only way you could get tickets. And it was it sort of, mm -hmm. it sort of felt like it was mishandled. I should explain that to people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. Sorry. I. I, I forget that, you know. Not everybody lives in the, yes, of course, of course. They're not all consuming the same information yeah. we are. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah um, my, my, my sister Megan went through the same thing. She's a Swifty and she loves it. And yeah. she had a, the heck of a time getting tickets and yeah. ended up getting them in Vancouver and is now basing a holiday around it. Okay, so, that's pretty yeah, and good. If, all right. That's yeah. great. And, yeah. if, and yeah. if you did get tickets, they're very, very expensive. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, so, and that's that's it. It's kind of a that's that's the concert for that year. It's, yeah, it's, this exactly. is it. Is that like we we've sort of this is a problem, right? Is that the problem is that we've pushed concert prices or the, this mm -hmm. particular ecosystem right now has pushed concert prices to a level where a concert is like the same amount as a vacation. Like you have to sort of literally yeah. think of it as like this is you used to be able to go see a show, you know, thirty, forty dollars for a pretty significant artist. You're now in the territory of, you know, it's regular for you to spend one hundred and fifty dollars, two hundred dollars um, to go see an artist that you maybe can afford. Um, yeah. And 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 the problem is that we don't I don't really see a way out of this one maybe adrian last word to you on this is like how do, what do you what do you see as a future of this sort of live nation dominance over the music industry oh wow i mean i think for a while at least it's going to keep being big and the big artists are going to keep you know raking in as you know the most like these these kind of mind-boggling numbers we will see what happens with this justice department investigation that's still underway that yeah. could um, put more restrictions on how Live Nation runs its business. There's also a, a bipartisan bill, which is like shocking that, you know, Democrats and Republicans come together for Ticketmaster. They, they agree over this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they, you know, the yeah. one thing we can all agree on is that fees should be less. So <laughs> that, like, I don't know if that's actually going to pass Congress, but yeah. it would, it would not bust up Live Nation. It would change its business practices. That yeah. could potentially happen. In the meantime, People really want to see their artists. And I think that's, you know, that's overall a good thing that, again, people want these communal music experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think as things go, if people have the money and are able to, they're going to they're going to still pay for these kind of big experience concerts. Yeah. Maybe a couple little ones thrown in. And the trend right now is still growth. I don't think this type of growth is sustainable, but we shall see.
Well, yeah, for the con- for the consumer, it, 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 how can you afford five concerts that are a thousand dollars each? Yeah, it, no, it, that, that's the not sustainable part. So it's interesting to see where it's going to go. I, I should also, you know, before I let you guys go, I should also say that like it's also not sustainable in the sense that like Taylor Swift and Beyonce and Bruce Springsteen can't tour on the same year every single year. Like that's just not yeah. how these artists mm-hmm. work. And so for that reason alone, you cannot have infinite growth. Sean, Adrian, I got to leave it there. But thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here, you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Of course. Thanks. Appreciate it. Love it. Of course. Adrian Horton is a writer based in Brooklyn, New York. You can read her reporting on Live Nation in The Guardian. And Sean Bowering runs music venues. He's based in Toronto. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud, and you're listening to Commotion. Okay, look, we are not a gossip show. We do not do speculation. That is not what we are about. So I want to be careful. I want to be careful about this next conversation, because if you've been online at all, it's been impossible to avoid this question. Where is Kate Middleton? Kensington Palace has assured us that the Princess of Wales is recovering from a successful planned abdominal surgery. And every media outlet in the UK is sticking to the line. Everything is fine. But the internet, as the internet sometimes does, is not buying it. She hasn't been seen in public since the end of December. And this week, speculation reached this fever pitch after Prince William was a no-show at his godfather's memorial service, citing, quote, a personal matter. Now, again, I want to reiterate, not a gossip show, but the way that this story has been playing out on the internet... I think it raises a lot of questions about the intersection of celebrity and internet culture. Ellie Hall is a reporter who's helped us navigate this tricky territory before. Ellie, welcome back to Commotion, friend. How's it going? Thank you for having me. It's it's some crazy times out here. It is a wild time. Let's talk about it. Let's get into there. Okay, I repeat. Kensington Palace sticking to that line. And actually, I right? have an update. I have okay. an update for you. This just this just came out last night. I'm ready. So KP, KP gave a new statement to The Sun last night. Uh, KP being to, Kensington Palace. Oh, sorry. Kensington I, Palace. I'm not yeah. in the industry shorthand, pal. But anyway, I'm, continue. I'm so, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. Yeah, Kensington Palace are Will and Kate's press team. Yeah. Uh, last night, the palace attempted to dismiss, quote, wild conspiracy theories, unquote, that have spiraled out of control online in recent days. A Kensington Palace spokesman said we were very clear from the outset that the Princess of Wales was out until after Easter and Kensington Palace would only be providing updates when something was significant. So this is brand new. They saw the memes. They saw the memes and that's, they said, we're going to need to say something. That's un, that's unusual, though, right? Like, it's, it's unusual oh. for the royals to sort of address internet conspiracies. Can we talk a little bit about how out of hand this all got? What, did you, what, what kind of stuff did we see online this week? This has been beyond jokes. You know, normally everyone's got some jokes about the royal family. But yeah. this has gone from beyond, you know, oh, she's getting plastic surgery or, you know, oh, she's just taking a vacation to actual, like, People going real deep in the weeds and referencing Princess Diana and all of this stuff yeah. that 
is is getting a little out of control. Yeah, I, I when I when I saw the memes, you know, a couple of them were like silly and funny, and and and, and I thought, okay, the intern's having a bit of fun with this, and then he kind of yeah. took a bit of took a bit of a dark turn, and I'm and I'm I guess I'm interested in what it is about the Royals that attracts that kind of energy, you know, and that kind of attention because it felt for a little while there like it, everything is fair game, and I'm not sure that everything should be fair game. Big thing about this that's interesting is that King Charles is also going through a health crisis right now. Right. Around the, yeah, around the same time when we got the news about Kate's surgery, he went in for prostate treatment, and then it yeah. came out that he had cancer. The thing is, Buckingham Palace, the King's press team, they've been giving a lot of health details about him. They haven't confirmed what type mm. of cancer it is, but they've released a thank you message from him. And last week, they shared a video on social media of the King reading Get Well Soon cards that he'd gotten from you know subjects all over the country. Right. And the fact that up until now... Kensington Palace hasn't said anything about Kate, and we haven't seen any photos of her, nothing on social media. That's really created this very fertile breeding ground for yeah. conspiracy theories to grow because yeah. there are no updates. And a lot of people, you know, have looked at Meghan Markle because when you talk about Kate Middleton, you're always going to have a sure. Meghan Markle comparison coming up. She was out of commission when she was pregnant with their first child, Archie, her and Harry's first child, Archie. But she was constantly in the papers. There was news about her during all of that time, even though she wasn't being seen. Right. So a lot of Meghan fans are pulling up what's going on with Kate right now and saying, hey, why have there just been no stories about her? It right. wouldn't take much for there to be a story about her. Maybe someone, you know, she got delivered flowers or something. Those were the kind of stories that would come out about Meghan. But there's so nothing. There's nothing about Kate. Absolutely nothing about Kate. The yeah. only thing that, that slightest update we have is that her sister was seen vacationing in St. Bart's. Hmm. So sister's sister's not worried, apparently. She's off having a vacation with her family. Do you wanna... But that's another weird thing because uh, yeah, the, no, one, no one was seen visiting Kate. We only got a message that when the king was in getting his prostate treatment, he visited Kate. Yeah. No pictures. No pictures of her family. Only one photo of William going in there on the first day. So let's talk about this vacuum, right? Because like you're right about mm -hmm. this being sort of an unusual moment. I I, I hope that the, the princess is well. But also we got to talk about the fact that despite all this talk online, the media in the UK is sticking to the palace's messaging. What does that tell you about the way that this – what does the way that this is being reported tell you about the relationship between uh, Kensington Palace and the press? Well, it's very – clear, obviously, that with the UK media, it is a pay-to-play environment. Hmm. You know, the palace completely controls all access to the royal family. They control which members of which media outlets are allowed to sure. accompany them on visits when they're going to really small areas and stuff like that. It's very obvious that they have said, these are all the updates you're going to get. This is the only information we're going to tell you. And the UK media rightly feels that if you know oh if we go if we go looking in their trash if we go you know trying to hang out outside the palace gates yeah we might we might get a, in trouble a little bit but it yeah. is worth saying that other media outlets around the world aren't being held to that if there was if there were international paparazzi who had photos yeah they would they would sell them yeah. And that's interesting because there's a whole lot of news coming out of Spain there's a Spanish royal reporter who is just Making all of these crazy claims. Oh so, no! Okay, see, like yeah. 
that's the problem with, with that vacuum. Okay, so this story is so clearly about a relationship with celebrities. And in our current culture, we've come to, I think, expect this constant stream of content and connection. But the silence around Kate is such a departure from all of this. Have we come, Ellie, to expect way too much? I think that people, the royal family, people in the public eye, people who are funded by the taxpayer, there is this sense of a, a parasocial relationship that they are there to, in some way, in, to, to perform. Yeah. Like that was a big, that was a big deal when Prince William didn't go to the memorial service. It yes. was, oh, okay, well, wait, you're not going. This is your job. Your job is to go to these public events and to do these things. Yeah. If you're not here, there must be something really, really wrong. Right. Um, and Kate is pretty objectively the most popular member of the royal family by any polls, whenever they, they do a new poll. So people care about her. And that's what makes this interesting. It's not just pe- this whole thing. Like people don't just have jokes. There are some people who are genuinely worried yeah. that she hasn't been seen and they haven't released photos of her or given any updates. Yeah. Until, I, until today, but that's not really, today's not really an update. Well, I was going to say like last word to you on this, maybe 30 seconds here, but uh, what do you make of that update? So like the, the idea that they felt compelled to respond to all those rumors because for the, for the longest while, they just were just staying silent. I mean, everyone knows that the unofficial motto of the royal family is never complain, never explain. They try mm. to stay out of things like this. I was, when I was getting ready to come on and have this conversation with you, I was shocked to see that they had actually issued a new statement because they very mm. rarely do that. They tend to stick to what the official statements are. And it's going to be really interesting to see if they give any other media outlets this or if they're going to just let this statement speak for itself. Ellie, I appreciate you. I appreciate you navigating a world that I rarely have any experience at all in navigating. You're the best, pal. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Ellie Hall is a freelance reporter who covers the Royals, and she's a regular here on Commotion. We reached her in Washington, D.C. And that is it for the podcast. Hey, before we go, I just want to mention some sad news out of Hollywood. The comedian Richard Lewis has died. He was 76 years old. You may remember him from Curb Your Enthusiasm. His friend and his co-star, Larry David, wrote a lovely tribute to him saying, quote, He had that rare combination of being the funniest person and also the sweetest, but today he made me sob, and for that I'll never forgive him. There's more on Richard Lewis's legacy on cbc.ca slash entertainment. And that is it for us. My name is Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. I'm going to be back tomorrow. I'll see you then. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.